made in the very image of God, according to Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So you are a product of the very hand meticulously made by God. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Hardy, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest. God is so good to us. There's not a thing in our life that is missing. There's not a thing in our life that we don't have the ability to uh, be involved in. God has given us gifts and talents. He's ready to use us. But somehow things begin to fall apart. Somehow we begin to wonder, where am I here? Who am I before God? We wonder what's going on in our life sometimes. We are curious. Do we even have a purpose? I feel dead. I'm at a dead end. I'm struggling. I just don't get it. Well, the thing I want to talk about today is our life before God. And first off, I want to emphasize God lovingly created you on purpose for a purpose. You are here not by accident. Jenny Williamson wrote, Before time began, plans for you were put in place, plans for you to change your world. Yes, you. Long before you were born, your destiny was considered as your maker crafted you in your mother's womb. But rest assured, your creator painted every part of you with divine reasoning and great care. Your eye color, your personality, your IQ, the sound of your laughter, the size of your feet, your aptitudes and abilities, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities are all part of your design, constructed and finessed for your distinct purpose. The date and location of your birth were strategically chosen. Your dream and desire were deposited deep inside and upon activation, They will lead you to your purpose and destiny. You have a purpose. You're not by accident. I don't care how humdrum things seem. I don't know if you've ever come to that point where you just think, I just don't know. I don't get it. I feel at a dead end. Nobody notices. I can't seem to speak into anybody's life. 
I'm struggling enough myself. How can I bless people? And all of the stuff starts worrying. And guess what? Satan starts saying, yeah, you're right. Yes, it's just not quite working. Yeah, you're right. You just really don't have a purpose, no matter what is happening. But the thing that I just read about that God tenderly created you is backed up by Scripture. We were in the very image of God according to Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So you are a product of the very hand meticulously made by God. Psalms 139.15 uh, says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. God was working personally in your mother's womb when you were made. This word woven is uh, comes from the Hebrew word rakam used in, uh, in this text, and it basically means woven, embroidered, curiously worked. That's what God was doing when he was creating you. He personally wove you together. He personally put every atom in place. He personally formed you. But in addition to that, he wove together your personality, your talents, your skills, your abilities, your strengths, things that you were handmade to be. And he did that without apology. He did that without any reason less than to expect that you would fulfill everything that he's put into you. God knew when you would be born and where you would be born and where you would live. Just like Luke uh, notes in the book of Acts, that uh, Acts 17, 26, it says, For one man, from one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their land. So he did this for groups of people. Well, you're part of those people. You were put into that group of people. He knew where you were going to be. Just like Jeremiah, God knew us before we were even conceived and what we would become if we walked in his will. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in uh, the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And in Jeremiah's case, he appointed him to be a prophet of the nations, and that was foreordained. Well, guess what? You're no different than Jeremiah. He has foreordained, if you will walk in his will, who you will be, what you will do, and he has a plan for you. Just like Jeremiah, God has things planned and lined out for you and me if we will follow him. We love Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. We just love that verse because in one sentence we think, I've got it made. God is going to be working in my life. Well, believe it. It wasn't just unique for Jeremiah. This is the personality and the character of God that is in him that he wants to bless us. God knows everything about you and where you're going, on, what's going on in your life, in your mind, in your body, in your spirit. I love Psalms 139, 1 through 4 that says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with my ways. And this really gets me. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Oh, my goodness. There are things come out of my mouth sometimes that are ridiculous, and he knows I'm getting ready to do it. Right then, if we're listening, the spirit shows up and says, stop, don't do that, don't say that. If I listened to that more, I'd stay out of a whole lot of trouble. Right, Bev? (laughs) So he knows... (laughs) He knows what's going on in you down to where you stand up. When you sit down, he knows. He thinks about you. Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe and his infinite, you know, he's got all this stuff going on, one thing or the other. But he knows when you're sitting down. He knows what you're thinking about. So take that into mind when you're, when you're wondering, what should I do? What should I be about? God's watching. Not because he's going to get you but because he loves you, because he wants to understand what he can do for you. He knows every detail about you and cares about you. Matthew ten twenty nine through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than any sparrow. Now, some of us have fewer hairs than the other, but God has gotten it down to the detail as to even how many hairs are on your head. He knows instantly. So we can't hide things from God. We want to be blessed by God. And what he wants is he wants you to win. He wants you to excel. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be the man or woman of God that he has planned you to be. I don't care what's going on in your life. He cares. He understands. You see, God expected you. I don't care how you came to be on this earth, what circumstances, how the pregnancy came about, who was involved as your parents, what has gone right or wrong, one thing or the other. Understand, God knows who you are. He wants you here. He expected you. God was not surprised by your your birth. You are not a mistake. You are part of the fabric of God's plan if you will just step into that. What's more, he knows everything about you, what you've done, what you've gone through, what you're going through, choices you're making, and whether they're right or wrong. Now, when you do things wrong, obviously God is concerned. God wants to work that out of you, and he brings about circumstances. He puts people in your life, the Spirit speaking to you, trying to move that around. When you do things right, heaven rejoices. Scripture talks about how we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and they're cheering us on. And that ought to be something that inspires us, not scares us. I mean, that is kind of an interesting thought that... You know, people are watching what I'm about to say, what I'm doing, how I think about God, how I feel. And it's important that we realize that with all of that that's going on, it's all about encouragement. It's all about salvation. It's all about fulfillment of God's plan. God has put so much into each one of us. All he wants us to do is acknowledge him with our lives. So much so that he planned for a time when we would need redemption. 
So he realized that a fallen world was coming. It talked about the plan for Jesus was foreordained before creation. So God knew what man was going to do, how he was going to fall, how things were going to struggle. And you think, well, why in the world did he do it? Love. Because he wanted man. He wanted us to praise and honor him. And that's something we can do, especially when we realize the redemption that he gave us. No matter what has happened to us or in a fallen world, unbelievably, Jesus came, lived, died, paid the cost. He paid the ransom. He rose again. He conquered death. He conquered the evil one, all to save us for eternity, all so that we could be with God the Father. So you see, a plan has always been in place. It has always been working. And you or I are part of that by design, on purpose. Almost all of us here have accepted Jesus, I think, and have entered into this new and wonderful relationship with God. We have accepted this wonderful, free, and fantastic gift. What's more is that we live in the flesh and we still stumble and we do things wrong. But Scripture says that the blood of Christ constantly continues to cleanse us. I really like John, First uh, John 1, 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. Ongoing, always, all we have to do is come to him. Because of this wonderful free gift, we begin to live changed lives. We want to, and we begin to live lives that glorify God. Now, when you first become a Christian, as a friend of mine used to say, we still have dirty diapers, and we still kind of step into things and create problems, and that's the reason we are here, to disciple and to help and to try to encourage and build up. We really need to gather around those that make the decision for Jesus because these are awkward, hard times, and Satan says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want you to go there. That's when we stand. That's when we surround That's when we protect. That's when we fortify and build up and bring people along. It's so important that we do this. So God planned for us. He crafted us physically, spiritually, emotionally. He loves us and he has a future for us. But he wants to use us. So how do we honor God? How does that work? There's one word. Worship. That's what your life is about. So we've got to ask the question, what is worship? There is a lot of scripture that talks about how to honor God once we are saved. One scripture that I think really helps me is where Paul is talking to the Romans. He talks about our sacrifice to God in the form of worship. Reading Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you see that we are to offer, sacrifice our lives to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, the Greek word for worship here is latia, which means ministration of God, worship, service, 
So that's what we're about. Some, some uh, texts say that this is your reasonable act of service to honor God. I like the, the renditions I read that it says that it's your spiritual act of worship. But all of that is involved in how you live. Worship is a verb. What's a word, verb have? Action. That means you're doing something. You're involved. You get out and you do something with it. Now, it can be used as a noun, but a noun is just sitting there. It's just an object. You're not an object. You are action. You are all about what Jesus wants you to be. We often use, and I want to kind of separate here, we often use um, the word worship in the conduct of praise and worship. Uh, for instance, on Sunday mornings, we enter into that time of praise and worship. And so for 20 or 30 minutes, we sing hymns and songs in our service. I want to emphasize this morning, worship is not encapsulated in our time of singing praises and songs to service. It is not encapsulated in listening to praise and worship music. It is not encapsulated in the Sunday morning service or Wednesday night service. Worship does not end with a song, a scripture, whether you're reading it or memorizing it or an amen at the end of prayer. That does not constitute all of worship. All of life should be worship to God. Every single minute of your life, you're waking, you're sleeping, everything that you are about is done unto God. I want to emphasize again, the enemy has sidelined many Christians with the idea that worship is fulfilled in their lives by a song service. Maybe a scripture, prayers, prayed, or gathering on Sunday morning, and this fulfills your relationship with Jesus, and the rest of it's all up to you to do whatever you want. But that's not even close to what uh, is fulfilled in our relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to emphasize praise and worship, reading scripture, prayer, all of that is tremendously important. It is all part of what you're to be about. And so we don't minimize that. As a matter of fact, we spotlight, as it were, those parts of our service because it's time when we come together where when we invite the Lord, you hear the message of Pastor Tim, Pastor Philemon, and others bring, and on Wednesday nights we talk about the Lord. These are tremendously important, but that it doesn't end there. Well, I've got all that done, kind of punched that part of my ticket. I showed up at church, I sang, I listened to the word, now I can just go do whatever. Your life has to be permeated, it has to be saturated with who God is. So those are important. Don't miss my point here. So it's so, so, so much more. When you and I found Jesus, our lives begin to change. As a matter of fact, in his book, James talks about that if your life does not begin to change when you find Jesus, and he's talking about faith and works here, if your life does not begin to change when you found Jesus, something's out of whack. Something's wrong. Your life has to begin to change. Um, so let's talk about a changed life, the things we regard as worship and expand on them a little that go beyond the things that we've talked about at praise and worship. When you finish a song and you lay down the Bible and you're all prayed up, the point is, what happens now? What are you going to do with this? If worship is really a living, sacrificed life, how do you live it out? What does it look like? 
I want to read that scripture one more time, Romans 12, 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's the whole ray. It's the whole you that you need to become that honors God. So we often read this verse of Romans 12.1, and then we stop. Well, I found out about worship. Well, guess what? Romans uh, chapter 1 goes on be verse, uh, beyond verse 1. There's verse 2 through 21. And guess what? It begins to define in verse 2 and on down what worship is. So, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, uh, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, you see, that's what's really happening here, is you're beginning to realize that you have to transform. So it says not. To, so the, the, what it says here. Let's see. The key phrases are not conforming to the world, being transformed, a renewed mind, and then it talks about a test. It says you can test if this is God's will, His good, perfect will. So now you're beginning to reflect: Am I really living this life? And if you are transformed and you have a new mind, you are beginning to reflect about what the old man is against what the new man should be. And we're called to do that. We're supposed to be, it's not up to me to discipline you. It's not up to you to discipline me. Not up to you to kind of get on my case. Now, there is a level of accountability that we all in love call each other to. But you're responsible for who you are. It's not up to Pastor Tim. It's great that he puts together these wonderful sermons that kind of keep in front of us what the kingdom of God is about and what righteousness is. Pastor Philemon does that. We try to, in this body, keep the word of God in front of you. But guess what? That rests up to you. The rest is up to me. We've got to decide what we're going to become. When things begin to fall apart, what we end up doing, if we're depending on somebody else, then what we're going to do is we're going to begin to blame somebody else. Well, the church offended me. Well, the pastor did this, one thing or the other. That's nothing but an excuse to put ourselves away from what we should be on our own. So key words here are transformed, renewed mind. And this is how it begins. We have to study and apply what we learn here. And also we have to listen to God. Who believes in the inspired word of God? In other words, we believe that this is the inerrant word that God, through man, brought the perfect word of what we, he wants us to know. Everything is in here. And from here, we begin to build what our lives are about. So if that's true and we believe it, what does that mean? We're going to do what it says. As a matter of fact, I love one thing that I read years ago. It says, the only scripture you really believe, everybody believe? The only scripture you really believe is the scripture you obey. That's right. 
If you don't obey it, you don't really believe it, do you? Somehow you've been able to set it aside. You have to become what this word says. We need to spend time and understand what God is telling us. To do this, it's important that we spend time reading the word and spend quiet time and listen to God. I, people, I hear people say all the time, well, I just don't hear from God. Sure you do. Sure you do. You hear from God all of the time. If you're denying that you hear from God, it becomes an excuse to say, you know, I just got my own thoughts. Ellie, just in, in disarray. I'm struggling. I, I have issues. What's going on here? The thing that's going on is that we're denying the voice of God that is already in us. Scripture talks about that the very commandments are already written on the hearts of men. It's all in there. But he begins to tell us things. He begins to work in us. He gives you and I thoughts all the time. Your spirit receives peace, maybe a nudge, sometimes a check, sometimes a question, or it leads us to people that are godly that will give us advice. Scripture comes to mind. God speaks to you in all kinds of ways. What we get hung up on is, I didn't hear a booming voice. Well, I wouldn't deny that that might happen. But more times than not, he's just working in your heart. He's talking to you. He's nudging you. The spirit is leading you. I want to ask, who in here has ever had a bad thought? (laughs) Who of you in here have ever been tempted to do something evil? Today, I mean, you know, it just is always there. Sure, we all have. So where does this come from? The evil one. We see all the time in Scripture where God tempted men and women, and we see what happened when they acted on those thoughts and the temptations of Satan. So conversely, who in here has ever had a good thought? Who in here has ever decided they wanted to do something that was good? Now, where does that come from? God. Is he talking to you? Is he nudging you? Yeah. Where does that come from? So for us to stand, well, I just don't hear from God, is nonsense. You hear from him all of the time. Now, sure, I know there are struggles. Sometimes we really need to answer. There's a big decision we're getting ready to make or we're we're struggling with life or whatever. God, where are you? I just can't hear you. I know those things happen, but I want to emphasize and guarantee you the stronger your relationship with God in cultivating, it will cultivate answers. It will bring to you words and wisdom. He will visit with you if you will visit with him. But we need to do that a lot. We need to spend time. You know, it's often been said, you want a word from God? You read this, it's just filled with words from God for you. All kinds of things. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. When you first found Jesus, an awareness of him grew. And the more you cultivated your faith, your eyes were open to to things you never knew before. But all that happens because you begin to believe. And you begin to act on faith. 
and all of a sudden it blossoms. That's the reason to the, uh, the wise in the world, they're confounded by what we're doing. Without faith, none of this makes sense. But there's this wonderful thing that happens when God speaks through his word and we begin to have faith in that, things begin to blossom. Things begin to come to our heart and our mind that we just never would have known. But it takes that step of faith. So it's the same thing when you're dealing with trying to understand the spirit. It's a step of faith to trust the spirit to work in your life. A lot of Christendom gets hung up on the gifts of the spirit, one thing or the other. It's all part of the scripture. But since they don't experience, they'll just stop there. When they take the step of faith and realize this is for me, it begins to open up. The spirit of God begins to come into your life. The same thing with any other aspect of your belief in God is that as you step out, he will not let you down. He will show you the way. He will be in your life in so many things, but you have to invite him. When Jesus left, he promised that he would send a comforter and that that comforter would lead us into all truth. Who is that comforter? The Holy Spirit. And so his word is true. That comforter is there speaking to you. That comforter is there leading you into all truth. The next thing I want to emphasize is you've got to learn to be quiet if you want to hear God. We live in a society today where there has to be something going on all the time, noise, distraction, uh, choosing to multitask, because I, I can listen to you and I can talk and I can read and you know, I can multitask. Every science in the world tells you that it doesn't work. You can do multiple things, it's fine, but you begin to decide you know, what's important and sometimes it's necessary, but you don't have to do it. But we've got video, we've got audio, we've got phones, we've got tests, we've got email, or Facebook, Twitter, music, videos, games, TV, chatter, noise, 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 especially in America. Seems like half the time I visit with anybody anymore, and I'm specifically talking to them, all I see is the top of their head. <laughs> They've got that thing going. They don't, we don't talk. We, we, we don't, we're not quiet. And, and get involved. We've got to have something going on. It's got to be noisy, noisy, noisy. Mentally, physically, emotionally. Yes, yes, Quiet down. I went to a seminar years ago where a man was talking to men, and he said, every one of you is really missing, and if you don't spend at least an hour a week where you just sit down, shut up, and listen to God, and it'll grow from there. Sit down, be quiet, and listen. And let him feel you. It'll take you a little while just to kind of get it out of your head. To, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about that, and you quiet down and just listen. God wants to talk to you. We're uncomfortable with silence. Let's try it. That was about 30 seconds. And I'm just looking at you, and some of you were. You know, kind of starting to fidget one thing and the other. We just can't sit still. We can't listen. Practice that. One of the things we have given up, I did a class some time ago talking about meditation. That's a Christian word. The world's taken it, and it talks in meditation, the world says, oh, I'm going to 
empty, and listen to it. They say, empty your mind. No. Get quiet and fill your mind with God. Meditation means that you stop, you consider, you mull over, you really get into trying to understand. Okay? Learn to be quiet and meditate on God's word. Even in our churches, it seems like it's a forgotten thing. The quietness of maybe some prayer, meditation. Body, think about this. I'm not going to say anything. Maybe a pastor would do this. I'm not going to say anything. I want you to just think about what we just said. Pray about it. Just be quiet and do that. I can remember being in services where that was done. But we've got to have chatter. We've got to have things going on. And I'm not criticizing anybody, but I'm saying, you see where things are kind of headed when we do that? We lose the ability to internalize, begin to lose the ability to make it ours. We need quiet time to listen. But I emphasize it'll take, time, it'll take practice. You have to learn to focus on what God is telling you. Mama Maggie in Cairo, Egypt, is a wonderful servant of Christ with a huge ministry to children, and it's called Stephen's Children. It's much like Mother Teresa's in India. She offered a wonderful insight. She said, to change an impure heart, we must get to know the Almighty Most High. She said, complete silence is the secret to the treasure. There we discover the peace of eternity. She goes on to say, Silence your body to listen to his word. Silence your tongues to listen to your souls. Silence your thoughts to listen to your heart's beat. Silence your heart to listen to your spirit. Then silence your spirit to listen to his spirit. Calm down. Listen to God. Remember, Jesus often went out by himself to be with God by himself. I think there's a lesson in that. So the third point, how do we worship then? Let's get down to how worship works in life. Continuing with Romans 12.3. Remember we read Romans 12.1, give your life in sacrifice uh, to God. Uh, which is your reasonable action of service and worship. But 3 on through 21 talks about what worship is. 3 says, for by the grace God, uh, for by the grace God, uh, (laughs) for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with, with the measure of the faith God has given you. So, following that we're talking about worship and how it's a reasonable act of worship and what you're supposed to do, well, first thing, don't get cocky. You are the servant of the Most High. Don't think yourself better. Don't put yourself forward as being better or having arrived. This is a warning says, think of yourself as sober judgment. I don't know about you, but when I get sober and begin to kind of, well, I don't think that, this didn't sound good when I get sober. When I really, <laughs> when, 
when I really get serious <laughs> and think about what God is doing in my life, judgment begins to come. My own that says, wow, I wonder what's going on here. So he's calling us to do that. We are part of a body which, uh, with a purpose and a function. We need to be active in the body and in the church. Um, let me read that verse. I skipped over it. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so the, uh, in Christ, we who, uh, who are many form one body, and each member belongs all to, uh, to the others. So the point here is that we have to function. And this is talking about the church. So this is an exhortation, get involved in the body of Christ. Amen. It's important that you and I gather together to encourage each other, to learn from each other, to be held in accountability with each other. Be involved in the body. This is worship. Verses 6 through 8 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Use the gifts that you have. And that means all of the gifts. It's up to you to find them. It's up to you to use them. In the church that I was at before, there was a, a man that every week quietly would come and clean the restrooms. No fanfare, no messing around. He said, this is my ministry. It was a gift he had. It's something that he wanted to do. And Gary would show up every week. You never had to worry about how things were going to look. He personally took that on, but he did it to the glory of God. He used his talent. So it's everything that needs to be done in the kingdom and in the world around us. Whatever those gifts are that you have, it's up to you because God gave them to you to use them. And so this is worship. Verse 9 says, love must be sincere. So we practice and cultivate our love with each other. Those of you who come in contact with circumstances or people or whatever, we must sincerely love. This is worship. It says, hate what is evil. Don't just dislike. I mean, hate's a pretty strong word. Hate what is evil. Whether it's around you, whether it's in your life, wherever it is, hate it. Get rid of it. Do what you can to dispel it. This is worship. Cling to what is good. We should grab a hold of good things and don't let go of them. This is worship. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Do we tear down? Do we talk about things and people? Do we make fun of? Do we hurt or we mean? Are we devoted in love, though, to each other? That's what it should be. This is worship. Continuing in verse 10, it says, honor one another above yourselves. Scripture talks about that we are to regard others better than ourselves. Now, that takes some discipline. I mean, some of you look at me and say, no big challenge there. 
But, you know, when we look around at other people, you know, we have to regard them as better than us is the whole attitude. And you see, when that attitude comes across to others, I value you. You, you are God. You're even better than I am in a sense, you know. That, and I don't care how that person is living. It's talking about that we should regard them better than ourselves. I didn't say it. The word said it. We need to be about that. Verse 11, so this is worship. Verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You ever feel like Eeyore? Oh, woe is me. It's just really hard serving the Lord. You'll ask people how they're doing. Just getting by. You know, just, and we're struggling with life. Everybody knows about it. It doesn't mean we can't share. Don't misunderstand. But it just seems like there's people you get around there like that. It says have spiritual, it shouldn't be, woe is me. It ought to be, whoa, what's God's doing with my life? We need to be excited about what God's doing in our life. It's a discipline. That's a word we don't like. <laughs> Self-discipline. And you have to decide to do these things. It doesn't mean life isn't hard. It doesn't mean that stuff comes at it. It doesn't mean that we don't get down. But if you can come across somebody who's got spiritual fervor pretty quick, you will too. So you need to make that uh, work in your life. Verse 12, So this is worship. Verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Well, that kind of sums up in many ways what it'll take to make it work. So joyful in hope. Hope is a thing that you decide to have because of the way you think that you hope, you believe that God is going to change and make things different in your life. So hope is important. Patient in affliction. Says the trying of our faith works patience. You know, so we're patient in this affliction because out of that, it says that God's going to make it into something. He said, everything's going to work to my glory. Just see your way through it. Trust me. Believe me. I will get you through whatever you're going through. It says to be faithful in prayer. So these things are worship. Share with, uh, verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. So that's talking about the body. You and I need to share with each other in need. Now, that's not just financial. It's everything. Those that are struggling are in need. The support, uh, you know, driving around, helping out one thing and the other. If it's at all possible, do these things to benefit one another. And if you're the recipient of those things, be sure that you're careful to do that for other people too. It's about the body doing these things. This is worship. Practice hospitality. This is something that my wife has. And she determined that she had it when she found a typo in one of her Bibles. I guess they make typos in Bibles too. But she's got a Bible at home where it talks about practicing hospitality. It said it again right afterwards. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Okay, okay. That's what I'll do then. I will practice hospitality. But what is hospitality? It is sharing. It is sowing into people. It is using your resources, the things that you have, and sharing those with people in an outgoing way 
to accommodate, to feed, to nurture, to sow into people's lives. It's very, very important. This is worship. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, boy. In other words, if somebody's in your face about who you are, what you are, especially in Jesus, what's it say to do? Bless them. What? You go, uh, another text talks about that, uh, that when you do that, it uh, has a tremendous uh, impact. This is worship. Bless and do not curse. Now, we're not talking about where you just let loose and say, you, and, you know, curse somebody out. This is talking about, do you speak blessings in life into people or do you speak cursings by your attitude and the words you say, oh, you're nothing. Oh, you know, you just, you, 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 and you begin to just throw up on somebody about what they're doing. That's cursing. That's putting them down. You throw up all over them and that's not good. That's cursing. Now, blessing would do what? Speak the positive. Would talk about what God can do in this circumstance. Sometimes a blessing is just shut up. <laughs> and you don't have to do anything. You know, just bless them. Maybe it's something that they're going to listen. You need to listen. This can be a, uh, this is a ministry. You need to listen. You don't have to have an answer for everything. But when you do speak, Bless, don't curse. This is worship. Rejoice with those who rejoice. When somebody's excited for crying out loud, don't start saying, well, yeah, that happened to me one time. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden our story's better than them. Get excited with what's going on with them. Let them understand that you accept and rejoice, and this is wonderful what's going on in your life. It's important. This is worship. Then in that same verse, it says, mourn with those that mourn. Be quiet, listen, just be there. Comfort, pray with them, encourage them. And it's not with words, well, you'll get over this, you'll get through this, you know, you know. Just listen, put your arms around them, be with them as they mourn. This is worship. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Now, there's a tall order. There's people that say things, do things. Pastor did this. So-and-so did this. This bothers me. That bothers me. This says, what do you do with that stuff? Live in harmony. Quiet down and bring harmony to the situation. It's not about getting in each other's face. It's not about giving in the temptation that we were talking about. Satan's always there to say, yep, here's your chance. Here you go. I want you to jump in there and I want you to just rip them all up. I want you to tell them. Well, I'm just going to give you the Lord's word and, and you're going to take advantage of this situation and you better do this and you better do this and this was wrong and you should have done that. You know, be quiet. Encourage them. Bring harmony. Also in verse 16, it says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. A lot said in Scripture about this. There are people that maybe we tend to, at first glance, to look down on. And a lot of that's going on in America. And because of what America's overreacting, you can't even have feelings. That, well, it's this person or whatever, you know. And, you know, there's wrong everywhere for all of us. Treat everyone the same in love, consideration. And when you do this, 
you are going to worship God, associate with him. Take time out, even when it takes some effort. Oh, no, I've got to visit with so-and-so. I know this, that, and the other thing. Don't even start there. Just go up and do what you can to encourage, to bring uh, life. It says, uh, last part of verse 16, don't be conceited. (laughs) That's a pretty strong word. What's conceited? Well, I'm better than you. I feel pretty good. You know, I mean, when I compare, you know, I look pretty good. Don't even go there. Again, it kind of goes back to that scripture that says, Consider others better than you. This is worship. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. When something happens and truly wrong is done, don't go after it to, I'm going to get even. This is worship. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Uh Uh-oh, now I've got to live up to your expectations too? Right especially the world around us. The world knows more about the way we ought to act as Christians sometimes, I think, than we do. Well, you shouldn't do this. Well, how do they know that? The laws are written on their heart. They know what's right and wrong. They understand who we are. But you ought to do this because everybody sees who you are. Live right in the eyes of everybody. Verse 8, so this is worship. Verse 18 says... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Obviously, you can't force the other side. So as much as it is within you, live at peace with everyone. This is worship. Verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. It's his business, not yours, to go back and get somebody straightened out. Respond in love. This is worship. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If do, In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. And all that means is this going to make them stop and think, why in the world after what I've done is this person still loving Why is this person still doing what is right and righteous? It makes them stop and think. Now, we don't do that. Oh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to be kind. No, we do that because that's who we are. This is worship. Verse 21 then says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is worship. At this point, we ask sometimes, How in the world can I do this? How can I be the person that all of this is talking about in worship? The answer is you and I can because God is constantly transforming us. That goes back to what we talked about before, the transforming, the renewing of our mind. That makes us into the people this has been talking about. Well, in the rest of your outline, I'm not going to go through it, but it, it says that there are all kinds of things in Scripture. In Scripture, you can go book by book and find all kinds of things about worship like we've just talked about. For instance, the first one, 1 Corinthians, tells how to love about morality, ethics, marriage, public worship, worship and Lord's Supper, the use of your spiritual gifts, Psalms 
Uh, I'm going to read some of this. <laughs> Psalms talks about the f- uh, uh, it's full of principles to live a life that honors and worships God, filled with praise and worship, prayers and wisdom. All this is in your outline. Proverbs shows the importance of living wisely in the fear of the Lord. Ecclesiastes tells of the meaningless, uh, uh, meaninglessness of human ways without God at the center of life. With God, all of life and all other gifts have one purpose, and that is to honor God. James tells us being a Christian is characterized by good deeds and a faith that is evidenced by action. Hebrews shows the supremacy of Jesus, our mediator in God's grace, talks about those who faithfully worshipped him. Philippians talks about the power of humility, unity, and living joyfully in every circumstance. First Peter talks about a holy life, conduct of husband, husbands and wife, conduct of older and younger men. Ephesians tells of practical ways to fulfill God's purpose in church, unity, maturity, renewing personal lives, husbands, wives, children, parents. Second Corinthians talks about the forgiveness, supporting the poor, comfort and affliction, ministry of reconciliation, Results of generous giving. It's all there. And that's just a name of few. It's all through scripture. All of it points to a life of worship that is fulfilled by you honoring God. You see, when you worship, you get to spread God around to the church body, your family, your home, your work, in your conversation, everywhere. You see, worship is a way of life. Worship begins to take over your life everywhere. It's ministering to a child in the middle of the night who's sick. This is worship. Guarding the, fright, the frightened is worship. Lifting up the discouraged is worship. Nourishing your marriage is worship. Listening is worship. How we handle our finances is worship. Setting the example in the workplace is worship. Encouraging the troubled is worship. All worship to God is life-changing, both for you and the world around you. We don't worship because God is waiting to thump us if we don't. No, we do it as a response because we are so grateful for the great gift of love at the cross that forgave you and me. You see, our worship is a holy gift understand that? Your worship is a holy gift. So the question comes back around, are we offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual act of worship? To tie this all back to where we begin, I like Ephesians 2.10. This isn't in your outline, but Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you get the last part of that verse? We talked about how you were created with a purpose. For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do.
Worship is a whole way of life. It is living before everyone day by day to the glory of God. But but God has to get in your heart for any of that to happen. For these wonderful things to happen, you have to generate, cultivate worship. You have to listen to him. You have to develop a personal relationship with Jesus. And all of this will begin to transform your life into worship. To walk with God starts with accepting Jesus. It builds with reading the word, prayer, and praise. Quietly listening to God. Then our lives begin to overflow in response and love and a life that truly worships. If you have not accepted Jesus, why don't you do that this morning? Why don't you begin this walk that lets Jesus in, that forgives you of all of your sins, and begin the worship that transforms not only your life but everyone around you? From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Centers with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.